Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome, everyone, to episode 172 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and Matt Jessup bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. And as you can tell, there's no Matt and there's no Mark this week. So uh, we've got two, two guys coming off the bench. So, so Aaron <laughs> here, and then you guys have seen me the past couple of weeks. I'm, I'm Nick, Director of Research here. Um, so it, it's been a while for you. Welcome, it has welcome been, back. A, been a while since I've done the podcast. I'm uh, excited to be on it. Excited to bring the listeners some, some good info. And I've got some good financial planning topics to cover. So I think it'll be, uh, be a good one today. Yeah, so it'll be fun. This is the first time Aaron and I have done this together, so we're looking forward to it. So as you guys know, we always bring the pricing, but we start with the pricing numbers. So um, I'm going to recap this. This is as of the market close on 10-19. Uh, the S&P 500 is up 3.1% month to date and down 22.5% year to date. The Dow Jones is up 5.9% month to date and down 16.3% year to date. The NASDAQ composite is up 1.0% month-to-date and down 31.7% year-to-date. The iShares Russell 2000 ETFs, the ETF is up 3.8% month-to-date and down 23% year-to-date. And the Vanguard FTSE All World XUS ETF is up 0.9% month-to-date and down 27% year-to-date. Checking in on yields, our three-month Treasury rate is currently sitting at 4.07%. Our two-year rate is sitting at 4.55%, and the 10-year rate is sitting at 4.14%. So some movements and the yield curve, but still inverted on those uh, the, the two, two and the ten, the, the two and the ten, but the short term coming up a little bit from from last time we spoke, I believe. Um, moving into big headlines and current events. Um, so, so a lot of news, and we've talked about this in, in other podcasts, but a lot of news coming out of the UK. And on the, on the 17th, uh, the UK finance minister, Hunt, the new finance minister, uh, scrapped most of the tax measures for their, uh, their, their mini budget, um, which was a, a pretty welcomed sign from, from an equity side of things. Um, mm -hmm. The S&P is back above the, the 3570 level, which is fantastic from a technical perspective. Um, yeah, that's good. I think that's a really big place mm -hmm. of support for the market. So I think it's going to be a good good place to hopefully see the market move higher from there. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the hope. You know, we, yeah, when, exactly. When we were talking about that, the technicals, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, um, you know, that level is is really above that new low that we saw. So it, it's kind of a nice support base between here and the, um, and the, and the June low. So um, always nice to see. And um, let's see here. On the, on the 19th, we had a kind of a slew of, of, you could say, negative factors for equity movements, and, and this was yesterday. So the, the Minneapolis Fed president, um, Kashkari, 
He's an FOMC voter. He argued that the Fed funds rate could go above uh, 4.75 if there's no improvement in in core inflation. So the market doesn't love to hear that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the the expectation for the ECB to raise rates by 75 bips um, at their next meeting in October. Then the UK uh, inflation came out at a 40-year high at plus 10.1% year over year in September. So... um, a few negative movements yesterday, but the market handled it in stride. We're still well above that technical level. And then at the same time, we had some positives yesterday because we're in the middle of earnings season and we're going to get into that um, with some of our research. But um, I would say it's a a decent to strong start for earnings season. Um, You know, we we saw a bunch of prints from the banks and some were disappointing. Some were pretty good. Some Some were were very good. Yes, exactly. And uh, and then Netflix and uh, P&G and then... Um, United Airlines all had pretty strong prints. So kind of a, a mix of this, you know, some positive corporate news right. yesterday and then some, I, you could say, expected kind of negativity right. from the economic side of things. So, yeah. but, but the market's been holding up pretty well. Yeah, it's good. There's been a lot of news coming out of the UK recently. Mm-hmm. Um, did well, you want to maybe explain to the listeners what the gilt market is if they may don't, maybe don't know what that is? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So the gilt market is essentially the, the UK treasury. It, it's their version of the treasury market. Exactly. So we, we call it treasuries here. They just call it gilts. They're government bonds. Yeah. Yep. So ex- essentially what they're doing, from my understanding, is they're they're selling uh, those, let's call them bonds or UK treasuries to have um, sort of uh, quantitative tightening, mm-hmm. my understanding. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I just thought it'd be good for listeners to kind of have a little bit more background on what that is and what that means for, for those kind of actual headlines. So that's good, though. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um I'm going to toss it over to you, and we'll we'll move right along into tweets, articles, and research from Perfect. the week. Perfect. I have a, a couple good ones here. So um, this first article that I uh, stumbled upon is going to be from Advisor Perspectives, and it was uh, released on 1017, so just a few days ago. And it's about avoiding the midterm election trap um, from an investment standpoint. So I'm not going to read the whole article, but I just kind of wanted to paraphrase kind of the main points. And um, this article was written by uh, Michael Joseph. He's a uh, CFA as well. So um, some good info coming from him. So essentially what the article is getting at is that um, it really doesn't matter that much who's in office. The, the important thing is to kind of invest no matter who's in office, right? Mm-hmm. Staying in the market. So a lot of people will get in the trap of investing just for the party that they like and thinking that, um, well, say I vote Republican, hypothetically, I'm only going to invest during that time, yeah. right? But the data going back really shows that you should just be invested no matter who's in office. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a little bit of information here, and there's a really good chart that shows the annual change in the Dow Jones Um given different scenarios. So obviously currently we have a Democrat president. Um, with the midterms coming up, this is really kind of kind of pertinent in my opinion because uh, there's kind of a couple scenarios or three different scenarios that can happen going forward. So um, the three scenarios are obviously a big Democratic president. Um, if we have a full Democrat Congress, the annual change year over year is about 7.4% on the mm-hmm. Dow Jones. If there's a full Republican sweep, uh, the, the Dow Jones tends to be up about 16.4%, so quite a bit stronger. And with a split Congress, uh, there is a 11.7% uh, 
uh, annual change. So um, in my opinion, all of those returns are good. So you oh, shouldn't yeah. invest no matter what, shouldn't stop investing in the market no matter what happens. Um, but it is interesting to see that gridlock really does kind of, yeah. <laughs> gridlock is good in a sense for them. It might not be good for a policy standpoint yeah. and things getting done, right. but from the market standpoint, predictability yeah. is key, I think, for the market. That's, so That's exactly what I was going to say is when I look at that chart, uh, it doesn't really surprise me that the market wants gridlock exactly. because the market wants, like you said, predictability. Um, right. Uh, yeah, we, we don't, you know, market participants, we don't want these huge swings in fiscal policy. We want it to be more predictable. That's what the market's always looking for. So not, not too surprising, but very interesting nonetheless. And, and we'll throw this chart up for listeners as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty quick, easy chart to look at. But um, and that chart is from the Stock Traders Almanac um, from Wiley as well. So it's data going all the way back to the 1949. So it's it's had a lot of a lot of data there. And I think it's um, I think that's in my opinion, I think we're likely going to see a split Congress. So I think potentially there could be good returns going forward uh, over the next couple of years. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think uh, gridlock is a good thing from the market's perspective. Yeah, definitely. I think I think you hear, and I've heard this a lot just from my own friends and and you know random fodder with with acquaintances and whatnot about people getting concerned about market performance under different presidents and right yeah when you look at the numbers it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah it really doesn't yeah exactly okay um i'm gonna take it again and i have another article um unless you have anything else on that topic you good no no let's uh, keep rolling here perfect um so this is another article um and this is going to be by ben carlson it's his blog which is really good it's called a wealth of common sense um, and this article came out two days ago on 1018. Um, so this article is titled uh, Bear Market Opportunities for Every Generation of Investor. So I, with, I, with, I peeked ahead. I really like this. Yeah. So for <laughs> even though it, it might feel like it, this challenging market environment, there's no good that can come out of it. Yeah. I think there are some positives to look at. So maybe I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but um, I think this is a really, really solid article to kind of provide some some reassurance for investors, no matter mm -hmm. what age range, what generation you're in. Mm -hmm. There's opportunities to be had for for um, for all of you. So um, essentially what the article goes through is um, baby boomers. It goes through Gen Z or millennials and it goes through Gen X or kind of the middle aged people. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Um, one positive thing to come out so uh, of this unfortunate period of time is rising yields, right? So um, for many investors, uh, Ben says, uh, with the risk curve um, earning higher than expected returns recently, um, many investors have been in a traditional 60-40 mix of stocks and bonds uh, because yields have been so low, right? Mm -hmm. um, they may have been even higher, 70-30 or 80-20, again, because yields have been so low. So um, most people were higher risk, in my opinion, over the last several years because you needed to get some sort of return because exactly. yields on, on the market were so low. Um, so if you're, there's a chart that he has in here and it's investors can uh, finally earn some yield on bonds. So one year ago today, 30 year treasuries were yielding 2%. Today they're yielding 3.79. Um, two year treasuries were earning 0.27% or 27 bips. 
and today they're earning 4.2. Yeah. Um, I know you went through all of those, which, but is, which is colossal. It's a that's massive a huge move, change. and obviously that's with what the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. But yeah. it, it's nice, and I think these rates are going to hang around for a little while. So even in my yeah. opinion, I think the market's going to recover in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. I still think these higher yields are going to hang around for a little while. So yeah. uh, it's nicer for people that are retired. They don't have to be as dependent on equities to actually get a return in the market. So exactly. Um, I think that's a that's a good opportunity. Again, it's not fun for those maybe close to retirees or retirees that have seen swings in their portfolio, but just a little bit of good I think can come out of this with with those higher yields for those those investors. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you think about what we've gone through in the past, oh, how, however many years, the bond market has been deflated exactly and has pushed more and more people into equities and, like you said, bringing up their risk. Now, people closer to retirement, and when you look at locking in a 4% return, and let's say you're in a 60-40, this is a very simplistic example because you would probably layer more products than your 40%, but if you were just going to buy one treasury bond for 40% of your portfolio, you could lock in a a 4% return for five years on 40% of your portfolio. I would think that most retirees would feel pretty good about that, or people kind of in that, you know, maybe three, four years away from retiring, you feel pretty good about that. Yeah. I mean, I know it's nice to see yield in the markets, and, and Mark and I have talked a lot about that. It's uh, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah, exactly. So um, next thing the article goes on to say uh, is about Gen Z or, or millennials. Uh, kind of, They're kind of lumping younger investors all together right now. So um, The young guns. Yeah, the, the youths, I like to call them. <laughs> um, so young people are on the opposite spectrum of the uh, – compared to retirees. So I'm going to read through his little article here on this. Um, Young people also need a safe place to park their relatively safe assets for emergencies, down payments, weddings, and other short-term financial goals. Um, But your biggest asset as a young person is your time horizon and your human capital, right? So you really have to allow compounding to be the wind at your back. Um, So I think for younger people, the S&P down, being down 25% plus at, at one point is a fantastic opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whether that's you have money on the sidelines that you can put to work or whether it's your dollar cost averaging by saving to your 401k or to any sort of investment plan you may have, just continuing to do what you're doing, I think you're going to be better off in the long run while having some of these market downturns. So. For people under 40, I kind of welcome some of these more volatile periods of time mm-hmm. because you can buy in at such a discount, right? Absolutely. So, um, Especially if you have cash on the sidelines. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, there's a chart that it's titled Buying When There Is Blood in the Street Works, and it's going to show the forward returns of the S&P 500 when it's fallen 25% from all-time high. So I'll just cherry-pick a few here. So uh, kind of the last similar numbers in 1961 – the S&P was down 28%. The forward one-year return was up 38. Three years, it was up 69. Five years, it was up 94. And 10 years, it was up 171%. So those are some really solid numbers. Um, another one is, let's look at kind of the the worst scenario on this chart is um, 07, 08, right? Uh, the market was down 56%, almost 57%. It took a little bit longer to come back. So the one year was up about 7%. Three years was up about 3.7. But five years, it was up 61%. And then 10 years, it was up 20.9, 209.6%. So mm-hmm. 
even with those really, really challenging times, especially for younger investors, it really just makes sense to stick it out and let the yeah. market do what it does, right? Yeah, be patient, don't panic. Exactly. So um, I always like looking at the stuff and kind of backing it up with evidence mm -hmm. because it, it's easy to say, hey, you need to put all this money to work while the market's kind of yeah. falling from grace and you might lose a little bit to start, but over the long run, it, it, in my opinion, it makes the most sense to, to buy into it, right? Yep, absolutely. The, uh, the last generation is gonna be Gen X that it talks about. So this one's a little tougher because they're kind of in, I don't wanna say no man's land, but they're kind of in between. So it's nice that they can get some higher yields, but it's also nice that they can buy in it a little bit cheaper. So mm -hmm. um, I guess Gen X is gonna be people kind of uh, 55 to 40-ish. Yeah, 40s, 40s and 50s, maybe? Yeah, 40s, 50s. So they should theoretically be towards their higher earning year. So they should be able to have maybe a little bit excess cash mm -hmm. that they could put to work and buy cheaper right now. Yeah. They're also kind of probably considering what's retirement going to look like in 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. So that I'm sure that makes them a little bit nervous right now. But uh, maybe there's this kind of a double-edged sword where it's maybe good, maybe bad. But I still think there's opportunities for, for, for Gen X right now, right? Because yeah. if you have 15, 20 years to still invest, in my opinion, you, you should be risk on, right? Yeah, and I think you make a great point that that generation is going to be in their highest earning years. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. So they'll have the most capital to put to work and take mm -hmm. advantage of either of these the most, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All righty. What else you have? Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I really like that article from Ben. But um, yeah, that's a good one. Next um, is going to be a tweet from Bespoke. Um, love Bespoke, and this is on ten seventeen of 22. So the tweet, I'll just read through it. It said, Walmart, Amazon, Apple, and ExxonMobil are projected to make $1 billion per day in sales next year. Um, Amazon and Walmart are both projected to have right around $600 billion in sales next year, or about $1.64 billion per day. So those are... <laughs> outrageous numbers and <laughs> that's pretty uh, good <laughs> yeah that's pretty solid it's pretty solid so their their sales mm. are going to be drastically higher than most companies market cap right which i think is pretty funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah wildly higher than right um there's a really good chart here that says projected 200 billion annual sales club so it's going to be a lot of the heavy hitters that most people are going to recognize right mm -hmm. the the reason i like this chart is kind of putting things in perspective when the market's down. And I did a little bit of digging on kind of the top four here just to provide a little bit of uh, context. So uh, Amazon is projected to make right around 600 billion next year. Their revenue this year is about, for 22, uh, is about 485 billion. So mm -hmm. uh, Walmart is projected to grow. Apple's projected to grow. ExxonMobil's projected to grow a little bit as well. So yeah. in my opinion, with the market being down 20, 30% for some of these names and still having projected earnings growth, to me, that's, that's a reason to think that a lot of the damage is done. Mm -hmm. And um, one of two things, in my opinion, should happen. As these companies continue to meet and beat earnings expectations and grow, stock prices should come up to reflect that, right? So yep. really... The challenging thing to know is what interest rates are going to do, because obviously as interest rates go up, the multiples and what somebody is willing to pay for a stock goes down. Yeah. But in my opinion, at, over time, as these con companies continue to, to grow and, and meet earnings, 
expectations or beat them even um, as interest rates come down, I think stock prices are going to rally. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, I think we could be in for some, some heavy chop over the next month. Yeah. Yeah. Month and a half. But, and I, and I, Hey, I said that the bottom was in back in <laughs> when, when was it? I, I sat on this podcast and said the bottom was in, I was wrong. So I could be wrong, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, we, we chop higher from here. Yeah. I, I, I'm not calling a bottom or calling anything like that, but just in my perspective, yeah, I wouldn't I do feel- it on the podcast. <laughs> oh, this is, oh, by the way, this is uh, not a recommendation for or against no, any of these names. Absolutely not. Um, so more just- um, this is just some data. This is really just kind of the, if you're looking at the S and P 500, these are going to be the top names, right? So yeah, it's just kind of, kind of interesting to see that, that these names are continuing to grow. Um, and I think, I think at some point we're going to get back to normalcy. And yeah. one, the, the other thing that I, th- I think is strong is the economy right now. Mm-hmm. So what, what's interesting is the market being down so much, but all of these companies are still extremely strong and still growing. So that's what's kind of strange about right now is that the market's pulled back quite a bit in a bear market. But the underlying strength of the economy is still mm-hmm. there, especially with these large, high-quality companies, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and we've talked some about that. It's uh, it's just a very interesting, a very interesting time. So, um, I think I will. I'll take it from you from here. Absolutely, please and do. And I'm going to take us into the uh, Bank of America Fund Manager Survey, and and listeners are going to kind of get a two for one on this because there was so much good research that came out. This was a really uh, pretty headline survey, and and I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. So a reminder about the port of the, the report. It's a monthly um, survey that canvasses the views of approximately 300 institutional mutual and hedge fund managers around the world. Um, it's pretty heavily watched. There's tons of different questions that they, they ask them. Um, so I'm going to read a, read a line from, and this is a tweet from, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, Priapus IQ. Um, and, and it's just a quote from the report, and it says, BOFA's October Global Fund Manager Survey indicates that macro capitulation and investor capitulation have likely been reached, but policy capitulation only just beginning. This means that the big low is unlikely until the first half of next year. So kind of saying the opposite of what you and I just, just said. Um, so in lay- layman's terms, kind of according to the survey, what does that mean? It means that the heavy selling due to macro and investor sentiment is complete, but that the market still needs to see the light at the end of the tunnel in regards to the Fed, uh, the Fed rate hike cycle, right? That's, that's what that line is saying, right. talking about the different capitulations and whatnot. That's the, the essence of, of what they're saying. And I just want to kind of go through a couple of the, the positives and negatives because you can... It was it was so interesting to see the research because there were some people who were picking up picking the major positive points from the survey, and there were some people that were saying, "Oh, the big low is not in yet," and, and lots of different focus. So I wanted to highlight the both the pros and the cons yeah, for, for listeners. Great. So some of the positives, and obviously the the report claimed that macro driven selling that that panic selling is over. That's a positive. We're at our highest cash levels since 2001. There was a lot of good charts on that. And um, I think, no, I don't have that chart. 
you could probably Google it. That's a good chart out there on that. <laughs> um, you know, think about like percentage of cash in the markets from portfolio managers right. is the highest level since 2001. So. Yeah, that's interesting to me. So at some point that money is going to have to get put back to work, Absolutely. right? And what's, where is it likely going to go? In my opinion, it's going to go to equities, right? Yeah. Because these fund managers have, maybe I'm stealing some of your thunder here, but they have, um, they have mandates on, on yeah. equity exposure, right? Yeah, so, they do. Um, I think a lot of that's going to get worked in because they can't sit in cash forever, right? Yeah, especially yeah when you have these big institutional investors there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to say you've been sitting in cash for a year now what are you going to do with it and, right and to your point i think that cash is is going to go to the asset class that has that has been beaten up the most and that mm -hmm. would be that would be equity so leading leading me to my next point which is that 49 percent of participants are underweight equities so one out of two let's right. call it let's round up to 50 a nice <laughs> clean number one out of two are underweight equities. 79% um, believe inflation is going to drop in the next six months. I don't think that's a huge surprise. We all expect nope. it to drop. Um, and then um, you know, a, a lot expect a rally in the next few quarters. So um, the negatives, obviously, the call for more pain next year. You know, the big low could come in next year. Um, I, I would urge listeners to understand that no one can predict the future. Um, there are good good arguments on both sides of the coin a lot of a lot of investing has to do with with staying patient and understanding some of the volatility and, and right. the times that we're in and and so with that comment i'm kind of bringing my my two for one here <laughs> with another tweet from patrick Sanier. um and he says uh he says the following interesting that the bofa fund manager survey shows a lot of bearishness towards equities yet we haven't seen aggregate outflows. And there's a chart here and that, that we'll throw up. And at the end of his tweet, he says, hmm, because <laughs> that's kind of interesting that you know we, we see this huge bearish, bearish survey. I would say more of it was bearish than, than bullish. There's obviously the cash is a pretty positive takeaway. The underweight to equities is a positive takeaway. But it's interesting to see this chart, which shows inflows and outflows to equities um, as a percentage of AUM on a 12-week rolling basis, and, and you don't see that coming down. So, so that's, it, it's it's actually slightly positive, isn't it? It is. It's, so it's kind of an interesting... People are starting to put, people put don't, cash to work maybe a little bit? Exactly. People, and that's another... And we talk about it all the time on the podcast, but just because you're reading something, just because the, the, the institutional money managers in the survey are saying, hey, I'm really bearish, that doesn't always mean that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, right. in my I, I've probably said this before, but every poll, every survey, all that stuff, I take with a grain of salt, right? Because exactly. there's so much data that can be manipulated with who they're asking these surveys mm -hmm. to, right? And yeah. I mean, nobody's none of these fund managers are gonna describe exactly what they're doing, right? So exactly, it, it's a secret. They all have their own thesis and their own ways of managing money. So especially they're probably not going to put that on the table for everyone to see. Right. Yeah. Especially in the hedge fund industry, you know, it's, it's not surprising to, to see headlines and, you know, you, you, you get underlying data two, three months later and it actually indicated that they were doing the exact opposite of what they <laughs> said those, those previous months. There's been some good research on that. So, um, 
you have any other comments on the on the survey? No, I think that's really interesting. Um, I think kind of the positives and negatives you laid out, in my opinion, it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? So mm-hmm. all the positives, all the negatives, the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle, right? It really does. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an interesting time. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens from here. So I, I promised uh, uh, an update on corporate earnings. So my next comment here is on big banks, big bank earnings and um, I really just took the the intro to this article. It's from Zero Hedge uh, as an article on Tuesday on the 18th. And uh, at the beginning of the article, he, he has a nice recap of, of the earnings, which I thought listeners would appreciate. So the, the quote is the following. Concluding the big bank Q3 earnings reports, some of which were disappointing, Morgan Stanley, some of which were mediocre, J.P. Morgan, Citi, and Wells Fargo, some of which were spectacular, Bank of America. Moments ago, Goldman Sachs reported a 43% year-over-year drop in Q3 profits as the Wall Street giant suffered from a continuing slowdown in investment banking fees and asset management revenue. So to summarize in layman's terms, um, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, there's been- Some are really good. Some are really good. Some are not so good. There's some negative takeaways with investment uh, investment banking and, and trading coming down. I don't think that's a huge surprise mm-hmm. given the market that we're in, given right. some of the other risks that we're seeing and the rates coming up. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that how that changes over the next few quarters. But overall, I would say earnings have been ranging from average to good. Um, and and probably the most interesting point I have for for listeners is that the sector, generally speaking, was rewarded. So when you look at the actual banking index, we're not just talking about financials. Financials were up around a percent Mm -hmm. since the market low on 1013. But the banking sector since the low on on the 13th, which would capture all the earnings that we've seen, is up 3.3% since. So a pretty good good reaction. All in all, a good reaction. So um, I've mentioned this before, I think maybe last week, maybe two weeks ago, but, and I've talked with Matt and Mark about this, with corporate profits and, and earnings consensus, you know, I think what the market would love is for, for earnings not to be really weak. Really right. weak might mean that, okay, we need, we need to discount this more. We need to mm-hmm. sell more. So you don't want really weak, but I also think if it's too strong, the market might say, well, we're not there yet. Yeah, you know, we're, it, we're not at the bottom yet. Right, we're we're so, still waiting for more economic yeah, more downturn, turmoil. right? We need exactly. more turmoil. Um, and so what I, what I kind of expect to see is, is similar to what we saw in the bank earnings, where you kind of see a little bit more of a dispersion, where some are doing kind of pretty well. Average to good range. Yeah, some are doing out. not so well, and it all kind of evens out. I think that's what the market's going to want to see. We want to see some of these consensus numbers come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But not not massive. Now that's my opinion. Yeah, no, um, I think that really makes sense because I mean the the market is pricing in a recession right now, right? Or mm-hmm. the slowing of of uh, GDP. So you would expect some of these companies are going to slow a little bit. Yeah, some might be able to hold up a little bit better, and and it's going to be individualized because companies are going to navigate better through Absolutely. turmoil better than others, right? So. I, I think your point makes sense, and I, I do think that 
maybe it's kind of that sweet spot where it's what the market's expecting, let's, right? Let's hope we hit the sweet spot. <laughs> right. We would all love we would all love for that to happen. This has I, not been I'm, fun. So. Yes, yes. Um, and, and then a, a, a last comment on earnings for everyone is just a reminder that you know, we're we're really in the swing of it now, mm-hmm. and big tech earnings will, earnings will be coming out next week, and so you're going to see a lot of the S and P 500 reporting over the next week, over the next two three weeks. This is, is kind of the meat of the earnings right. season, so. You know, expect to see some individual names with some volatility. That's normal. Um, you're you're, you're going to see that for sure in this market. Absolutely. So, yep. Um, the last piece of research is uh, it's a quick one for you. And, and this is just a, a, an interesting uh, comment, and it's an a, a interesting statistic. So weekly performance for the S&P 500 throughout 2022. This is a tweet from Michael Gade. He's a CFA at the Lead Lag Report. Um, that's a, a piece of research that, that we like and we subscribe to. Um, and, and Michael says the following. Um, the number of weeks down for the S&P 500 as a percentage of the year is second only to 1931. You have been conditioned to be bearish because of the sequence this year. Opportunity always exists when the crowd thinks it knows an unknowable future. Few understand this. So let me break that down quickly. I He's that. saying that one week performance. So not one day, but the, the Monday to Friday, that's your one week. And so mm-hmm. that's measuring one week. And he's saying that the number of weeks down for the S&P 500 as a percentage of this year is second only to 1931. That's a wild statistic. It is a wild statistic. Very interesting. And when you see week after week, down, down, mm-hmm. down, like we've seen this year, it's easy to get really bearish. The BOFA fund manager survey, it's, it's easy to come out exactly. and say the world's going to end. You, you've seen <laughs> doomsday articles popping up and um, those lovely CNBC headlines. The lovely, the <laughs> lovely headlines that we see. It's easy to, to think that way, but he makes an excellent point that opportunities always exist when the crowd thinks it, it knows an unknowable future. We don't know that the market's going to go lower, just like we don't know that it's going to go higher. But what we can do is we can take a look at where the market is. We can look at look at corporate profits and look at back at history and what stick things with have your done. stick with your plan with your advisor and and um, and make the best decision at the at the moment. Yeah, so. I think that's great, and it, it's kind of that contrarian thought is like it is, when yeah. everybody thinks it, it's doomsday, what what tends to happen. Sometimes it's the opposite. Probably so. found your bottom. Right? Yeah, exactly. So um, it's that's funny. So I, I think that's a really good good way to put it in perspective on how challenging of a year it's been for the market, and to to kind of stick to your guns and and not make rash decisions as mm-hmm. well, right? So you absolutely, gotta, if you have a plan and you have your investment thesis, stick to it, stay in the market, and it tends to work out pretty well, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, that's great. I love that one. So what what do you have for us on financial planning? Yeah, I got a good financial planning topic of the week. Um, So most people were kind of getting close to RMD season here. So um, for anyone that's not aware of the term RMD, it's a required minimum distribution. So for people above age 72, um, the government forces you to take money out and pay taxes on it, right? Mm -hmm. Out of anything, uh, it could be a 401k, it could be an IRA. So retirement uh, account. Exactly. So tax deferred money. So the, the topic I wanted to cover today is something called a QCD or a qualified charitable distribution. So the finance world loves their abbreviations. So RMDs and QCDs go hand in hand. (laughs) The jargon is great. Um, so a QCD, 
is a way to essentially donate what your RMD might be, and um, you essentially get not taxed on that money, right? Mm-hmm. So um, anyone that's due an RMD or has to take one, say they're above 72, say they have to take out $10,000 out of an IRA this year, they have the ability to donate that to a 501c3 uh, organization or charity, and um, you're not taxed on that money. So it's it's a really solid strategy for people that maybe have um, an RMD for the first time and they maybe don't want to bump themselves up to the next tax bracket by this RMD, um, or if you're charitably inclined in general, it's a really, really tax efficient way to do that because you don't have to itemize. You essentially just, it's like you didn't make that money, right? So yeah. if somebody is charitably inclined, um, you can donate up to $100,000 to a QCD um, each year. So um, it's a really, really solid strategy. So just kind of made me think of it um, during the, the RMD season that mm-hmm. uh, QCDs come out. Right? Yeah, that's a that's a great point to think about the tax bracket too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's a it's a really good really good strategy for those that are charitably inclined. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, do you have anything else? Yeah, anything anything else you have for for listeners? I think I am good. I'm. Uh, I think um, we're just going to continue to chug through this challenging market, and um, I know Matt and Mark will keep bringing. Um, good info to listeners throughout the rest of the year and next year. So make sure to keep checking in and get some good info. Absolutely. It's been fun. So thank you for listening to the episode 172 of the independent advisors podcast. And we hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the independent advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.